I think I need to go back up into my the condo. Condo, yeah. Give me five. Cool, cool. Five. Bye. This message is brought to you by Olive Holdings. Oliveholdings.com. All right, Josh. Well, thanks for joining me here today. Those who might not know you as well as I do, give a little bit of your background. What is your company name and how long have you been in business? So our company name is Albright 1-800-Painting. I've been in business for 35 years. Your name is not Mr. Albright. How did you come up with the name Albright? It's a it's a story way back when I was first starting my business. I was started out as a wallpaper hanger. I didn't know what I wanted to call myself or my company when I first started. My grandfather, my step-grandfather, had a company called A. Albright Draperies and Cleaning. And they would do drapery cleaning back then. When I was starting my business, I hung these little wood signs with my home phone number because I was still living at home. I was 19 years old, stenciled these signs on telephone poles, try to get business that way. And my grandfather said to me, why don't you start using our phone number as well? And when you get a call, because I have people that answer the phone during the week, we'll page you. And then you just call that number back, probably more professional than having a call at home with your mom and your sister answering the phone. And this is back way before cell phones. They answered the phone, A. Albright. They didn't say A. Albright Draperies or anything like that. They just say A. Albright. So that's how I got gifted the name. I didn't love the name at first. I wanted something a lot more creative. Just didn't make sense to me. Like a Albright wallpaper hanging. It it had no ring to it for me. I was a little more creative than that. The only reason I loved the name was because my grandfather figured out a period Albright comes first in the yellow pages. And for some of your listeners, they may not even know what a yellow pages is anymore. I don't know. You had to be listed by alphabetical order. That was the only way people could find you. So we would always come up first on all listings. Then my grandfather ended up passing away and I'm very happy now and I love the name so it kind of went full circle for me uh, that I'm so thankful that I now have the name Albright. That's quite a legacy. Did you come up with have an Albright day or was that something that already existed? It's funny. I have a friend in the painting business, Mike Moffat with Dennis Moffat painting. His dad was Dennis or is Dennis Moffat. And so he took over from his dad and he's part of a group uh, I'm in. He said to me one day, have an Albright day. And I just was like, love that. I can't say I came up with that. So 35 years of longevity. What is your top line revenue as we closed out 2022? 10.4 million was our revenue for 2022. So 35 years in business, eight figure business. What are some of the secrets of success? It's been an evolution. Obviously, I haven't been able to grow super fast 35 years. In the beginning, when I was first starting out, I think the road to success for me was being able to quickly respond to people's requests, being somebody they could count on, doing what you said you're going to do, things like that. I would hear from so many people, a guy says something, won't follow through, that sort of thing. I think from there, I've always had a a mind for marketing and wanting to tell a, a good story to our customers to be a little different than the same old story of just showing our work and not really having a story behind that. I've always wanted to be a little more creative with that. So I've always put my headspace there. I think that's also helped grow our company is my love or desire to communicate better and market in that way. Sounds like there's not one secret to success. It's being responsive, doing what you say you're going to do, and following your passion. That was in the beginning. And then it morphs to 
how to continue to be successful, understanding what it means to be a leader, because a lot of times you're not really focused on your leadership because it's just you and maybe another guy or two, and you're not really that focused on it. Once I became a little bit bigger, I had to really focus on what does it mean to be a leader? And then from there, the next level of success was understanding who we really are and what our values are. At first, I was I was a little confused. I didn't know if we were the high-end quality, super quality company that's doing innovative stuff. That's what we were doing. I just didn't feel like that was me because I was not a super craftsman. I had craftsmen on my team, but I personally wasn't that. And so it wasn't ringing true with me and who the company I was trying to build. One day I came across a process that I had to go through with a group that I'm involved with. And they had us do an exercise that said, out of these 70 words on this page, pick 10 that relate to you. And I remember going through that exercise and realized that it's hard to pick just 10. There's so many words on here that I would want to be a part of my company. And then they said, after picking 10, you could only pick five. And then you had to narrow it down to one. And that was so challenging. But once I went through that exercise and figured it out, it's like the light bulb went off. I finally figured out what we value as a company and what is really important to us. And that is- We're on the edge of our seat here. Oh my goodness. What is the word? What is it? <laughs> you know, the word. It's happiness. I realized that word that embodies our company. And it comes back from so many different things. Even from the very beginning with me, I really felt like I couldn't be happy working for somebody else. I knew that that was not my path. As I grew in this company, I didn't really want people to have to work for a boss that they didn't like or have to be stuck in a dead end job because that was important to me. I didn't want that. And so I worked very hard to make sure that anybody who comes to work with Albright, that they have that same sense that they're not going to they're not going to feel like I hate working with this boss or I, I hate this dead end job. I wanted everyone to be happy. Of course, I wanted our customers to be happy. I even wanted our community to be happy that Albright is a part of the community. And I also wanted the painting trade to be happy that Albright is a part of the trade. And so that's how happiness kind of just the light bulb went off. That's that's who we are. Once that happened, then I started to figure out our top four values that go along with happiness. That has been the next level of success for us in our company. So when you ask, you know, what's the one thing? I can't really say the one thing because it just, can, it, it builds on itself. Sounds like there's been stages. There has been stages. Right? There yeah. was getting off the ground, yep. responsive, following your passion, do what you say you're going to do. Now you have an issue of sustaining success or growing the success even at that stage. I would say growing. Yeah, you were then, then you got to growth and you got honed in on one word, which was the identity of the company and probably yeah. yourself your life. It did. I coach people in that too. Just people who ask me, I tell them that it has to be real to you. You can't just pick a word and go, this is what I hope to be. It's really about what is it you really are passionate about and really what gives you energy, what drives you. And once you really know that word, it can be real. Because I can tell you prior to finding that word, it was, yeah, we're going along with it, but it didn't give me energy. It wasn't true. Very, very deep alignment. I might come back to that. You are a business. You are eight figures and you have sustained yourself for a very, very long time. Beyond getting started, beyond growing, you've been sustaining. What do you think of some keys to sustaining? Anybody can be a leader 
within our company, even the day one or after their first week, we teach that you can be a leader here. You don't, even if you don't know anything about painting, how we teach that is we say, once you're willing to give or teach a life skill to somebody else, let's say that's your foreman who's struggling with a relationship at home and you're able to help him all of a sudden became a leader in his eyes. So we didn't want people to think that they could never be a leader at the apprentice level. You're able to do that very valuable to the company and our culture. Other ways of sustaining our company's growth would be the culture itself and making sure there isn't any subcultures that are happening. That's always a challenge when you're not able to be at every job site at all times. So that's something we've worked on a lot, making sure that we root out any kind of subculture that's happening because it's a we, not me attitude at all, right? Getting to that one word, that one phrase, really seeking alignment to who yep. they truly are. And from that, they can start to architect a path that guides their actions. This is probably not an elevator conversation that you're having with these people. What are some of the, the nuggets or the roots of that conversation of how people find that inner calling, that inner them that you help find help people find? Yeah, it's, I think it's different for each person on how they find it. Some of the things that you can do, start to ask your customers or your employees or the people around you, what do you see that's important to me if you can't figure it out, right? If you don't know what yeah. it is. Uh, you could ask those questions and, and ask them for a one word. And they'll say, I can't give you one word, but you have to force them into giving you one word. That's one way to do it. Well, I'm going to change gears here a little bit. Had a little birdie tell me that you've gotten into running lately. And uh, <laughs> why on earth would you get into running? What got you into that? So yes, I'm getting ready to run a half marathon in November. And I'm just starting to train for it now. And man, it's tough. Uh, but I have done a half marathon uh, about five years ago. And how I got into that is a mentor of mine. And he's had a goal to run a marathon in all 50 states. He'd been telling me about that for years. He's the one who taught me how to write a primary aim. And primary aim is writing out a story of where you see yourself in five years from today in a story form and you include things as if present tense as if these things have happened and you're writing out your hopes and dreams your accomplishments things about your family your business if you have a business or if you have a family it's very powerful i've been doing it for many years in my life I, my first one i wrote was in 2004. Within that story, writing out a primary aim, fast forward, you know, 10 more years, and I wrote a story in my primary aim, and I said that it felt really good to run a half marathon with Kevin Nolan, finalizing his 50th state. I wrote that out as if I had done it. When I wrote that out, I hadn't been able to run a mile without stopping. I did not ever run, did not enjoy running. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I could ever complete a half marathon. And my goal at the time was to just finish. I didn't know if I would run the whole thing. I just wanted to finish it. And then my goal became, I hope I can. And then I finished it two hours and 36 minutes uh, without ever walking. I ran the whole way. I was really happy that I did that. The funny story is I, <laughs> at the end of it, I had to fly home that night and I was so cramped up and could barely walk. 
and I had to change flights uh, in Houston, and I had to run. I had to run at the end of that night to get to another plane, or I was going to miss it. I could barely walk at that time, and I said to myself, "Never again." I, I did it once. I, this is not for me. I don't think I'll do it. And here I am doing it again. What are some of the lessons you're learning as you reengage into this running training? Well, it's something I've always wanted for my life is you know more discipline. I see the benefits in the in discipline, and I know that people that are very disciplined seem to have a more successful life. And even though I'm somewhat disciplined, I don't consider myself as disciplined as I'd like to be. I know that coming from that, it really helps me with my discipline of getting to a certain goal and doing something. It's just my consistency is, it wanes sometimes, but I'm, I'm seeing more and more of the benefit to it in my life. It's a root habit that's spilling over and maybe causing some character solidification, right? And who you are. You've been doing these books on the beach series lately. Yeah. I've been following it at least. And what got you into that? And what are you learning? And maybe why? Uh, so that's a great question too. I love all these questions. I'm admitting all kinds of things here to you uh, and to your audience. The crazy story is that I was never much of a reader. So I'm doing a lot of things. I'm changing a lot about yeah. my life. And, and for the better. And I feel like I'm almost on this reinvention, you know, Josh 2.0. I'm in my 50s. You are I'm a young 50, 50 year old guy. I'm 57. Must be you the know, happiness. Positive outlook you know, or the optimistic. Yeah. Outlook. So Josh 2.0. Josh 2.0. What's really weird or interesting, I would say, is I didn't read books almost all my life. I did not enjoy reading. I wasn't good at it. I probably picked up 10 books and never never finished them. I've probably only read about 10 books in my lifetime, like from start to finish in uh, up until last, November of last year. I could count, you know, on my hands how many books I've actually read. Yet I was around a lot of people in the industry and people I surround myself who read books all the time and are always recommending books to me. And I'd always be like, yeah, yeah, I should probably read that, but I never would. And I learned about the things that are in these books through osmosis of just hanging out with the right people. But it wasn't something that I gained for myself by reading. Fast forward to late last year, I've been following this guy named Patrick Bet David, pretty well known on social media. He owns a channel called Valuetainment. I found him. I went to one of his seminars with my son. I took my younger son Noah with me, read his book, Your Next Five Moves. He's really big on reading. He's like, you have to read in order to even consult with him if you wanted to consult with him, which I am doing. I was challenged in that to like, all right, I've got to get into reading. And while I was on one of his conference calls, there was a guy on there named David Kirkpatrick who helps entrepreneurs read faster and retain more. And he has a course that you can take. I first reached out to him and a few months went by and I didn't follow through with it. And then I finally followed up on it. And I'm so glad I did. It was one of the best things I've done. He taught me how to read faster and retain more. And since then, in November, I think I've read 17, 18 books so far from the beginning of this year to now. And it's changing my life. And I'm loving it. I'm loving reading. And I've been influencing so many people to read. Not so many people in the world, but so many people around me. Every time I meet with Patrick Bet David, I have to read a book that he recommends that I read. And then I have to turn in a book report before we meet again. 
we've done this a few times over and he's given me books. So I finally said to him, I said, I've got a book for you to recommend. I got a recommendation to you. And he's okay, what is it? I said, Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gordon. And he's like, okay. And he writes it down. Within a few days, he's posting to his millions of followers. He was so impressed with it that he had his 40,000 insurance agents read it that month for their book of the month. And now this September, he's having the author come speak at the seminar. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to be able to say, I was not a book reader, I don't read books, to now I'm recommending books to people and influencing people in a way that really is in my everyday conversations now. It got me to the point where I really wanted to start posting about the books I'm reading just to give a quick summary to see if I pique anybody's interest to read that book. That is an amazing story. One of the things that to me is the most interesting about that is you are very successful in life, a big name in the industry, mid 50s. And instead of coasting off, you're saying I'm going to version 2.0. So not only is there a recharge, the most novel thing for me is the humility. You are reaching out and saying, I need help reading. Where is that humility? come from to say, I need help reading. Most people in your position would be too proud to do that. And, and yeah. you were not too proud to reach out. So what's that about? I'm not afraid. I guess that maybe I'm a risk taker when it comes to that, that I'm not afraid to look bad in some areas of my life, I guess. I'm willing to be open about my life. And I realize that it's not coming from me. It's coming from, if you believe in God, I believe in God, and I believe it comes from God. I also believe it comes from those that are I'm surrounded with, that, that have helped me get to this point. That's why I'm very grateful, and that's why I want to give back, is because I grew up not the best circumstances, and not having a, a real father figure to be able to show me or pour into me. And so me trying to learn how to run a business after dropping out of high school was not easy. I was able to reach out to people and say, how do you do this? They would share with me. Because of that, I'm very grateful and I want to give back because somebody gave to me. I also want to give. I'm willing to submit myself to the things I don't know. And I, I love, I love learning. Now I'm loving the business book. Josh 2.0. I'm doing a lot of different things now. I'm, I was never even wanting to publicly speak. Like I was embarrassed to publicly speak. I would go around the country and speak to painting contractors through Sherman Williams program and thing like that things like that. Prior to that, man, when I was asked to be a best man at a friend's wedding and I was asked to give the toast, I totally froze and had couldn't even I couldn't even think of what I was going to say. And I've come a long way. Had no training. You dropped out of high school. I did. And now I you did. have an eight-figure business and you're posting about books and certainly influencing those around you. You talked about wanting to give back because you've received and there's kind of two domains I want to probe in a little bit there. Some people do know you from the Paint It Forward program. When I see that and I see you, I do always think of happiness. It's amazing the unity that comes from your clear vision of who you are and what you're doing. But maybe just talk about the Paint It Forward program for those who don't know about it. For those who do, just a quick refresher. Paint It Forward program is a way to give back to your community. We started asking our community who they knew who needed painting but couldn't afford it. We wanted to donate our time to gift somebody with that because painting can be expensive and too expensive for certain people in our community. And it's been that story that continues on. I would go around and teach others within the painting industry how well that works for not only your community, but for your business as well. What I mean by that is also your culture of your business because your team who is donating your time. I remember I had a paint rep who told me when I was first doing this the first time, he goes, you're not, you're not going to get your guys to volunteer to do that on a Saturday to go and paint for 
somebody for free, you're going to have to pay them. And I'm like, I, I, I don't think so. I think they'll do it. I think they'll want to do it. Some do, some don't. But I was really pushing for 100% participation. When we got there and did it, and it was the after the effect. And that paint rep did come that day to help us. And he was taken aback by how good everybody felt afterwards. That's been the story of why I go around and tell people it's not only is helping your community, but it's helping your company. You get so it's like the best day of the year for your company every time you do it. Oh, I thank you for your leadership in that. You've been a, a big influence with the Painting Contractors Association, helping to roll that out nationally and doing big, big volunteer projects at the expo. So thank you for all your consulting and leadership and getting that initiated, Josh. Yeah, I loved what you guys did in New Mexico. And I was smiling every time I saw a, a post about it or somebody talking about it. You are not just an entrepreneur, you are a father. Talk about what fatherhood means to you. You talked a little bit about your past. This is just something I've admired from afar. Is relationship that you have with your sons. And I think you have some wisdom that would be great to dive in and impart here. I love being a father. I love what it's given to me, so many areas of life and how happy I am as being a father. I didn't really have, like I said, I didn't have really the role model and didn't know if I would even be a good father or what that would look like. And I really didn't think I'd be a good father to boys. I like, I think I'd be a better father from, because I was raised by my mom and my sister. And I'm like, ah, I'm not sure I know what to do as a, as a dad to men ended up having two boys at first going hmm, all right got to get into all of this type of stuff that I think they're going to be into and watching my two sons grow up and, and being complete opposites of each other learning how to parent each one has been a journey and continues to be but I I love the journey I love being able to continually learn about that. Your audience and the people, I'm gonna surprise them with those who may not know. I am about to have another child. Uh, did you not know that? No. <laughs> yes, my daughter is gonna be born September 1st. So wow. I'm gonna be a father again. <laughs> Breaking news. Again, Josh 2.0. Yeah, so I never, I never knew what it was to be a girl dad and now I get that opportunity. So. I'll have to work on the editing for this one fast. Uh, <laughs> That's a big deal, man. Congratulations. Yes, it is a big deal. And thank you. Most people probably listening would think I'm crazy for doing that, but I'm not so sure yet. I think it might be an amazing experience. Having children is in some ways underappreciated maybe right now. It was kind of like, of course, everybody's going to have a lot of children. This is how we build communities and build groups of people. I think the world is only a better place with another young Abramson running around California over there. So. Yeah, I can't wait to pour into her and be able to give more wisdom that I've learned since that I'm maybe have gained from the when I was a 23, 24 year old having kids. Talking about the culture of your family, what are some of the values that you try and impart? So now we're up to three. I read a stat somewhere it takes 3.5 children to maintain a culture in a group of people. Replacement levels at two, and then you assume that not every child is going to carry the culture forward. Watching you from afar with your two boys, I think you've got replacement levels set. So you've got now, you're dealing with house money, but what are some of the values that your family stands for as you look at the intentionality of being a father? What are some of the things that you're focused on here in your family? That's a great question. And I'm not sure I have that 100% identified and maybe that's some of the work I need to do. I like that. I would like to come up with a set of values that resonate, that are true. That's a great, that's something I think I can 
get to work on. From what I know about you, you do get to work. Yes. Yeah. If I probably will, you know, it's not a probably, I, I will do that. One of the things I, I want people to know that live with me or my family is I come from a place of understanding that life is not fair. That saying to me means a lot. With that, don't expect that you deserve things in life. Don't expect that that's going to just be given. Because life is not fair. We don't know what turn life's going to take. And you can't expect it to be fair. You can expect it to be good. And it's all about your attitude and how you perceive it. So if you come from a place of understanding that life is good, then that's one of the things. Another top value of mine besides happiness, and it's actually higher than happiness, is freedom. Freedom is such an important part of my value system. And it's not just freedom of the country we live in, but yes, it is that as well. But it's the freedom to be who you are and to be able to allow others the freedom to be who they are. Coming from an understanding of knowing that not everyone needs to be like you. And we always put people against the lens of, well, I don't do that, or that's not, that's not how I would act, or that's not what I would do. To me, that would be a very bland and boring world if we all acted and did the same thing or it felt like everyone had to be like us. I give a lot of room for that in my life and I try to learn from people that are different from me and not judge. That's another value is not judging. And then another value is we. I see people assume all the time. This is another thing I teach within my family and, uh, and people in my company is we quickly go to this assumption that somebody is doing something and we give motive to why we think they're doing it. And we really don't know the motive. We assign the worst motive typically, and we don't speak about it to the person because we're afraid to confront somebody on that. But we'll talk to others about what we think their motive was. I find that to be very detrimental in a lot of people's lives. I see it all the time. Another value, I will say, is that miscommunication is happening all the time. It's another thing that I see. We think we're communicating, think somebody understood us or they heard us, and they really didn't. They are confused or they were thinking something else that we were saying, and we have no idea that they don't even understand what we said. I'm usually helping others around me to see that we might not have communicated well enough yet. Let's make sure we're understanding each other. I feel like we just you just workshopped your family values, and I would just say I would encourage you to have as many children as you can. I would like, <laughs> yeah. I would like a lot of people with those values running around. <laughs> it's funny, you just asked me that, and I had no idea what it is, and then as I started to yeah. discuss it, I guess it's, it's, it's right. It's cool. It's right there. It's there, but there's a lot of power to putting words to it. Yeah. I did like your one about fairness. My kids, when they say it's not fair, I say fair is where pigs get blue ribbons in the fall. Life's not fair. <laughs> I'm a, certainly a fan of yours from afar. I'm um, a fan of yours. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It feels like we don't get to interact as much as I would like to, but that's probably on me for not flying out to say hi. No one's going to fly to Minnesota. No one would expect that. <laughs> but I think I've seen you do some Shabbats with your family. I know there's a lot of symbolism and some rituals involved. And yeah. just talk me through what got you into that practice and, and what it means to your family. Great question. I grew up as uh, in a family that is Jewish and I had my DNA tested. Turns out I'm 98 
99% Ashkenazi Jew. So that means my bloodline and everybody has been so pure in that regard. And I remember when I was dating girlfriend at the time, she was a Christian. I didn't really have any belief in God per se. I wouldn't speak bad about him because in case he was real, but I didn't have any real belief about him in, in my life. I saw a difference in this person who I was dating, a real difference in her. And backing up, growing up in my family, there was no real God, there was no focus on God. It was just we were Jewish by blood, not Jewish by religion. And I didn't know much about my Jewish history at all growing up in my family. In fact, I didn't even know what bar mitzvah meant uh, until it was really close to being too late. So it wasn't a part of our family. But then when I was dating this person who was a strong Christian, my grandmother came to me, the, 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 the grandmother of my step-grandfather who had a Albright draperies said, if you marry her, it's going to kill me. Like she did not want me to marry outside of the race. I just, I didn't have much of a great relationship with her. She wasn't, I wasn't that close with her in that regard. And so I didn't really heed that advice because it just wasn't, wasn't part of my life. I ended up marrying her beforehand, though, I came to realize, because we broke up at one point, I realized nobody compares to her and her values and, the, and her character and the things that she was uh, about. And I realized that I believe that if there is a God, I would like to see if I could have that in my life. And so I became a Christian during that period that we were broken up. We ended up getting back together because she wasn't going to marry anybody who was a, wasn't a Christian. I didn't do it for her because I couldn't be fake about it. I had to either really believe it or not. And I ended up really believing it and I became a Christian. It was through that going to church and studying the Bible and reading it a few times over. I learned about my Jewish heritage so much so through that. And it was an amazing education through that. I saw the picture of Christ in the Seder. And I saw how the foretelling of Christ was actually in the Old Testament, the Torah. And so I could see that, that is the foretelling of Christ. And so when I was given the opportunity to do a Seder, I was it was very meaningful because I could do both sides. I could see what Jewish people were looking for and the fulfillment in Christ. I love doing that. And I've done them a few times with uh, my family and that. I find it to be a very special time to honor. I like the the draw that you had to that woman saying, you know, her character and her actions. And, and one of my favorite sayings is by, I believe it's St. Ignatius Loyola. And he says to preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Yeah, that's right. Familiar with the, I think it's called the ship of Theseus. And there's a no. million different ways to tell this story, but I'll kind of give you a hypothetical. Let's imagine there's this wooden ship during this, the War of Independence or something. After the battles are over, put it in the port, put it in a museum. But once a year, it goes on this big journey as like a hurrah. And so let's just say it's from New York to Florida. Some big journey once a year. As the years progress, the ship begins to wear down. They find out they have to replace the rudder. And then the next year, they find out they have to replace the wheel of the ship. And maybe the next year, there's a handful of floorboards. Maybe there's a board on the side of the boat that needs to be 
replaced after a turtle hits it or something. And the question after 20 or 30 years of this, every single element of that ship has been replaced. And we ask ourselves, is this the same ship? And if not, at what point did it stop becoming that ship? I just want to see what you think about that. My first quick was when you said that, is this the same ship? I thought, nope, because it's not, it's none of the original pieces. Then I quickly pivoted to, yes, it's the same ship because it embodies all that that ship stood for and achieved. We'd almost say that about Josh 2.0. <laughs> is Josh 2.0 the same Josh that dropped out of high school that was trying to get phone calls to his parents' house for Albright, whatever, painting, wall covering, blind covering, yeah. who knows what you're going to get today? You're right. Is that the same Josh? I think for me in this story, it's really up to the memories of people. If a, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? There's something to consciousness and our memories that we have of ourselves, of other people, and maybe of other objects. And I think it's the people that remember the history of that ship that makes it the same ship. Otherwise, you can make the argument it doesn't. So to your point, it's more of what the ship stands for. And what it stands for is represented in the memories and the perceptions of this very special thing we have called consciousness and observation and memory. Yes, very good. Cool. I'm reading a book right now, 12 Rules of Life. I've also just finished a book called Power Versus Force. It's very hard to read at first. The first three chapters are all about the testing method. And if you can get past the first three chapters, the fourth chapter is the aha moment where you're like, okay, it's finally making sense. It's about our levels of consciousness, how power versus force, those two words, one could be considered a higher level of consciousness and one is a lower level of consciousness. All the differences in all the words that we use and how we see ourselves. I'd love to hear if you do read. Are you a book reader? I don't know if you are. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll record these and I'll write them down. I get through them pretty quick. I would like to do like a book review with you on that sometime because I think it would be cool to pick your brain on is the connections you're making between multiple books. When you're reading yeah. these many books in succession, you're probably seeing ways of an interconnectedness or through lines or applications. It'd be cool to you're pick a, apart. You're a brilliant man. Because you are, you can see ahead, and you're right. That that is what I'm seeing. That that is what I, that's happening. It's frankly amazing. It's simply amazing what's happening right now, and the way I'm seeing that interconnection to a lot of these different theories and books that I'm reading. I love sharing and, and even being in conversation now with people. Conversation gravitates sometimes towards that and you're able to impart some some something that you learned that I didn't know before. Excited to share it with others, really. It's a good life. It's a life of happiness. Josh, really thank is. you for coming on this thing that we're doing. I think a lot of people are gonna be interested in things that you have to say, your well-known face and what the big announcement get out there. Thanks for much so much for coming on the show today, Josh. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're doing this. I found your last episode so really interesting. I was like, it was, it was not, it would, went in directions I was not expecting. And it was these deep philosophical questions. And I was thinking, I don't even know how I would answer that. Especially the one about the suffering baby. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is challenging. Good for you for doing something that's not just about painting. It was fun to dive into you a little bit. I think you're an interesting case study and I had a whole set of philosophical questions we could get into, but it's fun to get into philosophy with Josh. I think that was probably the best thing I could have done with this time today. I hope I added some value to your show. Yeah, man. Awesome. Appreciate you being on. Thank you.
like we talked about with your running, it ingrains in you who you are. You start to identify as being someone of discipline, consistency, and good decisions. Yes. And so then you're faced with something and you're not saying, what should I do? You say, what yeah. do I do? Leave this Leave this in your podcast. Today. I'll, I'll put this part in. No one may watch this and that's fine. You do it more for the journey than the destination. So yeah. Have an all bright day. Very, very happy. <laughs> yeah. Be all bright and happy.